Hebrews chapter 12, and I am going to read an unusual passage of Scripture, but one that uh, speaks very clearly to me, something that I believe is uh, of extreme importance. I talked to you last Wednesday night about pulling down strongholds, and uh, I don't know how many of you remember the definition that I gave you of a stronghold, but if you didn't, I want to share that with you again tonight. A stronghold is any area of your life that you have lost control of, that you have no control over. And you say, well, does that mean the devil's there? No, it just means that it's an opportunity for him in your life. And that's all the devil looks for is an opportunity. And so it becomes a gateway. It becomes a foothold through which the enemy can slip into our life. And I tried to help you uh, along that line. And tonight I want to uh, expound a little more uh, in the area of that uh, same kind of thinking. But Hebrews chapter 12, I am going to read beginning at verse number 15. The writer of Hebrews speaking to uh, the church said, looking diligently, or let me go back to verse 14. He said, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now that particular statement has, has always uh, intrigued me and it has always bothered me that it is possible for a man to fail of the grace of God or that a man could miss the grace of God, that he could live his life in such a way that he completely misses God's unmerited favor toward him. Now that to me seems to be quite a miss. If you, you miss that, you are missing uh, everything. But he goes on and he says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And the word many could speak of many people or many things in your life that could be affected by that root of bitterness. Verse 16, he said, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Now, I don't think many of us would want to identify with the word fornicator. That's just not something that most people jump up and say, yes, that's what I am. We try to shy away from that. And so when we read this particular verse of Scripture, because of that first word, we just kind of lock it away that he's talking to, to all perverts. He's talking to people that uh, have lost all sense of of, of right and wrong, but uh, you need to listen carefully to me tonight. 
He's not talking about just perverted people. He is not talking about people that just have no control over their flesh and their lust, which is a fornicator, a person who has no control over their flesh, and so they just give themselves to whatever the flesh wants to do. He said, lest there be any fornicator or profane person among you. A profane person. Now, that is interesting. Now, what is a profane person? Somebody said, I know what a profane person is. It's the guy that I work with. He cusses like a sailor. You know, he uses four-letter words. Well, I, I, I hate to burst your balloon tonight, but that's not what that word means. In the Latin uh, or the Greek text, it indicates pro is before. And phaina, the word, the root word, comes from the word temple. And so literally what a profane person is, is someone who puts anything before the temple or anything before God. That's a profane person. Now that changes the whole picture. And we can't just talk about lustful people now. We talk about all of us now because at some point in our life, all of us have probably been guilty of putting things before God. And then he identifies this profane person and he calls him Esau. And we know who Esau is. Esau, Jacob, Esau, remember the two brothers in the Old Testament? And uh, Esau was the elder brother, Jacob the younger. And Esau is called a profane person because for one morsel of meat, everybody say one, one morsel of meat. Be careful what you sell your soul for. <laughs> Be careful what you're willing to sell out for. Be careful that you don't forfeit your future for one moment. Just one moment. And he forfeited his future. For one morsel of meat, he sold his birthright. Now, birthright was a very special blessing that was passed to a child. It went to the eldest. And according to what I have read and understand, they got two-thirds of everything that their father owned. It wasn't just a half or a, a, a 60, 40, but two-thirds, at least two-thirds of his father's inheritance, his father's estate was going to go to Esau. And Esau was willing to barter that away for one, one morsel of food, one bowl of pottage, one bowl of soup. He was able or he was willing to part with all of that for just one, one morsel of meat. And then notice the change that took place as it you, you could probably comprehend. Anybody in their right mind is going to have a weak moment 
And then once that weak moment is passed and you start thinking clearly again, you start going back over the decision that you've made, all of a sudden you realize, hey, I, I messed up here. I, I need to go back and change. I need to go back and, and fix this situation. And so verse 17 defines for us what happened next. Esau, who had sold his birthright, he had sold two-thirds of his father's estate for just a meal, just one meal when he was hungry. Now, all of that has gone away and the food has has gone and now he's hungry again and he realizes that he's lost a lot. And so now afterward, everybody say afterward. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the, the blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now that has always bothered me, that particular statement, that he found no place of repentance. And I want you to keep that up there for a while. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now that particular verse has troubled me because my understanding of God is that He is moved by a broken heart. And yet this scripture seems to indicate, and I say it seems to because that's the only way, it only seems to indicate that though... Esau was willing, and though Esau was hungry, and though Esau desired a change, God would not allow him to change. And that is not the case. That is not the case at all. And so I want to talk to you about why it is hard to change. Why it is Hard to change. Every one of us recognize the need of change in our life at some point. Our John Maxwell uh, made a statement in one of his books, and I, I've tried to go back and find it. He made a statement in one of his books about why people change, what it takes to get people to a place where they will change, where they will actually turn and begin moving in a different direction, whether it's a business or whether it's a personal life. What is it that happens? And he makes this statement. He said people change when they hurt enough that they have to. Now that's where a lot of people are. They get to a point where they hurt enough that they have to change. They can't stand living the way they're living. They can't go on like they are. And so they are forced by the pain to change. And that's all right if that's how change comes. 
But he goes on to make another statement, and then he concludes by saying, or we change because we learn enough that we want to. And to me, that is the ultimate level of change. Not that you hurt enough that you have to change or that your life is so messed up and it stinks so bad that there's no alternative, but that you learn enough, you learn, you gain enough wisdom, you gain enough insight, understanding that you want to change because you see the benefit of change. Now, the ability to change is one of the great privileges of humanity. The ability to change our minds, that's a wonderful thing. Aren't you thankful that you do have the, that ability to change your mind? Just think who some of you would have been stuck with in marriage if you would have stuck with the way you had been thinking at one time in your life. But you had the ability to change your mind. We can change not only our minds, we can change the direction of our life. We can turn and we can move in a different direction. We can change locations. We can change vocations. And God constituted man with the ability to adapt and to learn. We're not locked into a system where that once you are this particular thing, you have to always be that. There are people that even in later years in life go back to school and learn a whole new trade. Now, I don't recommend that for most people, but there are people that do that. And, and they make the, uh, uh, the, the changes and they adapt. But it happens because God made us with that ability or that capacity to change. We can change our attitude. What a wonderful thing. Whew. Praise God we can change our attitude. Some of us probably need to work on that tonight. <laughs> After living in Houston for a day, you, you need an adjustment. Every, that's why happy hour is so popular around Houston is because I saw one sign that said uh, attitude adjustment hour. Instead of happy hour, it was attitude adjustment hour. Well, I don't think that really adjusts much. It just dulls you. But anyway, we do have the ability to change our attitude. But my, the, the question that troubles me is, why is it so difficult for some to change and others not to change? Or why is it so difficult to change certain things but not other things? And I have thought seriously about this today. And not only today, but in other days. What is it? Is it because some people just have the makeup, the genetic makeup? It's easy for them to adjust. It's easy for them to adapt. And me, I'm stubborn. I'm hard-headed. I'm a, I'm a bull. You know, I, I, I'm just going to do it my way. Is that why it's hard for some people to change and other people, they're just easygoing and, you know, wherever the wind blows, they move that direction. I want to talk to you tonight about why change doesn't happen for some people. Now, the, the text that I read from, the haunting text that I read from, 
magnifies a life that was misspent, if anybody's life was misspent. If anybody missed it, this man missed it. Esau, who had so much, a birthright, the firstborn of the family, the honor of carrying his father's name on, the privilege of not only perpetrating the name of his father, but taking with him a large portion of what his father had amassed so that he could have a jump on everybody else. And yet he was a man who lost so much because he sold that birthright. He sold it for a bowl of pottage. And the tragedy of it is that he never regained it. He never got it back. And I've looked at that story and I thought, God, what what was it about Esau that made it impossible for him to come back? What was it about Esau that made it impossible for him to be able to recover what he had lost? What was it about Esau that that etched his name as a tragedy of time because Scripture declares he sought it but he never found it. He prayed for it but it never came to pass. He wept over it, but all of his tears could not bring it back. And why? Why was that so? Was Esau of such a nature and he, was he such an evil person that he was incapable of repentance? And when I look at Esau, I realize that Esau isn't really a lot different than most of us. Given the pressing pressure of a moment how many of us have caved in under the pressure of the moment and that's what happened to Esau the pressure of the moment he caved in the pressure of the moment the pressure of life that was on him at that he thought he was going to die he evidently was so expent in his in his body and he was so uh, gone without food that he thought he was going, this was it. If he didn't get something now, he was going to perish. And so when you start looking at life that way, when you start looking at life as, I don't think I'm going to make it through this, sometimes you, you make bargains that are not bargains. And so Esau, he, he made a, a bargain. But Was he incapable of repenting? Was he incapable? Was he just such a wicked person and such a vile person and such a ruthless person that there was just no hope for him? And I say no, not at all. Esau's problem was not what we think it was. Perhaps I can help shed a little light on that. The Bible says that at some point in Esau's life, he changed his feelings about his situation. He changed the way he felt about that moment back then. He changed the way he uh, felt about his present situation. And he changed his attitude. You say, how do you know that? 
Because the Bible says that this man Esau, who was a man of the field, who was rough, who was a man's man, wept bitterly for a restoration. He cried. He wept over his situation. And so I know that somewhere along the line he changed his attitude. But here's a man who could change his feelings about his situation. And he could change his attitude about his situation. And he could change his desire about his situation. But he could not change his situation. Now why? Why? Why would, would this man be in such a place that the Bible said he found no place of repentance, no place to turn, no place to regain his composure, no place to recapture the fallen glory? Is it just that some things done can never be undone? Is that the, is that the story? Is, is that the truth that Scripture is trying to teach us that There are some things that you do in life that once you do it, you can't ever go back and undo it. There may be some truth to that. But if that were the truth that the Scripture was trying to convey, all of us would be without hope tonight because there's there's not a one of us that perhaps has done something in our life that when you look at it in the scope of life, we really shouldn't have been able to recover from it. But we did. How did we recover? How did we recover from it? But he didn't. How did we get back on our feet, but Esau never got back on his feet? Is it just that he did something that I haven't done? I dare say not. I don't think that anybody in this building has uh, is any less guilty than this man was of selling a birthright for a bowl of pottage because all of us have felt pressure all of us have been in moments where the pressure on us was greater than we could imagine and all of us have felt the necessity of the present moment you know right now i got to have an answer right now i've got to have an answer tonight and so we have sometimes acted needing an answer tonight and god not have an answer for us tonight and so he found no place of repentance he looked for it He looked for it. Think about that. Esau looked for it. He wanted it. He desired it. He sought it carefully with tears, but it didn't happen. My question is, what did Esau actually seek with his tears? And this is what I came to a revelation of. Number one, Esau sought the blessing, but he never sought the birthright. Listen to it. Go back. Read it right there. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for him. Go back to the previous verse. Read what the previous verse says. Lest there be a fornicator or profane person who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. Now, 
in trying to grapple with everything was wrong in his life, Esau wanted the blessing, but he didn't want the birthright. He wanted the fruit of God's touch on his life, but he didn't want the root of that touch on his life. You understand what I'm saying? Did that make sense to anybody? We want that blessing. We want, we like God's blessings on our life. And many times that's what we seek from God are His blessing. We want His favor. We want Him to smile on us. We want Him to make it go away. We want Him to just abracadabra. And it's gone. We want God to embrace us so that when He embraces us, it just nullifies all the bad decisions we've ever made, all the bad choices we've ever made, all the dumb things we've ever said, all the poor choices, all the poor direction. We want the favor. We want the fruit of God touch. We want Him to fix our mess and make it right, but we don't want the hand that fixes it. Esau wanted that blessing, but evidently he didn't want the hand that gave the blessing. Maybe I'm reading something into it, but that, read it again. He sought the blessing. He didn't seek the birthright. He wanted what that birthright produced. And that's always a mistake. He wanted the fruit. He wanted the product without the principle. He wanted the blessing, but not the blesser, per se. And so he could find no place of repentance. And that's a serious thought. But this is what I believe made the difference between Esau and some of us, or can make the difference between Esau and some of us. When the scripture said he found no place of repentance, The literal translation of that particular phrase in the original says that he could not bring himself to the place of changing his mind. He couldn't bring himself to the place where he could change his mind, his way of thinking. And because... Esau couldn't, oh, he prayed. He wept. I'm telling, I've seen people that have come and filled altars full of tears and get up and nothing changed in their life because their thinking about their situation has never changed. Because they still look at their sin or they look at their failure in the same light that they looked at it before. And because Esau never could change the way he thought about this whole situation. He never could find a place to turn around. He could not bring himself to change his mind. Think about that for a moment. He could not bring himself to the place to change his mind. The reason some people cannot effectively see change come into their life 
is not because change is impossible. But it's because many times they seek only the blessing of God. They only want God to fix their mess. They only want God to come in and straighten out all the junk that they've created. But they don't really want God. Or they never come to a place in their life where they change the way they think. Or they change the way they think about life. Or they change their thought pattern. They still think like what they did. They still feel in their thoughts toward that the way they did. And because of that, you can cry. You can be emotional. I've seen, I've seen men that were stoned drunk. I mean, blubbering drunk. Cry like a baby over the remorse of their situation. And you think, all right, this is going to, this is it. They're going to turn around and walk out and the next hour have another bottle in their hand. What happened? Is it impossible for that kind of person to change? Nope. Is it impossible for that person to recover? Nope. But it will be impossible until there's a change in the mind. Until there is a change in the way that you think about that and think toward those things. And here is the key to real change in any person's life. If you change the way you think, if you change the mind, you can change the destiny. There are people that will repeat and repeat, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat, and repeat. And they'll be repeating when death comes to their life. They'll keep going through the same cycle. Because they never bring themselves to a place to say, You know what? It's your, it's your mind. It's the way you think. It's the way you think about that that's gotten you into trouble. You need to see that the way God sees it. You need to think about that the way God thinks about that. You need to look at that the way God looks at that. No wonder Paul writing to the Romans talking about us presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, said the only way this can happen is if there is a renewing of the mind. He said, be not conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the world's mold. Don't let them make a fool out of you, is one translation. Don't let the world make a sucker out of you. Don't let the world use you. Don't let the world destroy you. But be changed. He said, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Something has to happen up here. And the reason Esau could never get back to that place of restoration wasn't because there was no place of restoration, but because in Esau's mind, he never could bring himself to seeing or thinking or believing or understanding that what he had done initially was as wrong as it was. And he never changed the way he thought about it. He never changed his thinking about that sin. He never changed his thinking about that failure. 
And I've seen people over and over repeat the same thing. The reason change is impossible for some people is because they never change the way they think. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery. And he goes on to talk about the humbleness, the mind that was there. No wonder Paul would write to the Philippians and he said, if there's going to be any honor, if there's going to be any glory, if there's going to be any praise, if there's going to be anything noteworthy, he said, think on these things. Why? Because the key to victory, the key to change in my life, the key to me being able to tear strongholds down is not tears. I used to think, you know, if we could get people to an altar and we could just get them to pray it until they really cried real good, that that would change them. Well, I've seen a lot of crybabies leave and not change one ounce. I've, I'm telling you, I've seen people fill pews up with tears. I've seen them leave puddles on wooden, on wooden altars and get up and go back out. And before they were out the door, a word was already in their mouth that shouldn't be in their mouth. And you think, how in the world could that happen? Here they are, they're crying. Surely tears should produce something. Surely the, a desire, they desired, they came to an altar. But I discovered that desire isn't strong enough to change you. Tears aren't enough to change you. If they could, every alcoholic on the face of the earth would be dried up right now. Because I know there have been millions of tears shed for them. Every drug addict would be off of drugs. Every person cheating would stop cheating. Because they have caused millions of tears to be shed. But tears are not enough to cause you to change. Somebody threatening you isn't enough to make you change either. Until you start grappling with what goes on between those two ears of yours. And you get a handle on your thinking. Or you let the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, get a handle on your thinking. You're going to be stuck. People are going to be stuck. I'm going to be stuck in that same cycle of Pete and repeat. Amen. Going through the same things. I don't understand. I want it so bad. I can't tell you how many people have told me. Brother Hughes, I just don't understand God. I want it so bad. And I get down and pray, God, what's wrong? I mean, these people want it so bad. Why aren't, why aren't we seeing change? They look at them. They're, they're, they're crying. They're, they're, they're emotionally connected. They're involved in it. They're, they're shedding all kind of tears. And, and the, look at the desire. Look at the fervency with which they seek after it. And yet that's not enough to change. Because they're still thinking. With that old mind. And they're still thinking about whatever that thing was in that old way. And the reason that Esau could find no place to turn around wasn't because there wasn't a place to turn around. He just never could bring himself to the place to change his way of thinking. I want to tell you folks. If that's all that stood between me and a new life. If that's all that stood between me and a better life. If that's all that stood between me and victory in my life. Wouldn't I be a fool to say, you know what? 
I think I'm going to hang on to my old way of thinking. What has it produced? Look at what it's produced. Brother Hughes, I don't know why I keep wrestling. I'm telling you, folks, some of you may think I'm out in left field tonight, but I'm somebody's out in left field, too. Somebody's in the bleachers tonight. Brother Hughes, I prayed about this, and I prayed about this, and I prayed about this, and I pled the blood of Jesus over this, and, oh, Brother Hughes, I want this. I, I really want this more than anything. Why can't I see it? And I never have been able to figure out why until just recently when I got to studying a man who could never get back. And I found out that it didn't have as much to do with God as it did to do with him. It wasn't that there wasn't a way. He just wasn't willing to take that way. And he was content with that stinking thinking. Praise God. Stinking thinking. Uh, that's that's just the way it I best I can describe it. Just stinking thing. He was content with that. It is possible, and I'm closing. It is possible to desire change but not change. It is possible to be moved to tears and not change. It is possible to have great desire. And never change. But I can assure you this one thing. You will never go through a transformation of your mind. And there not be a change in your life. Never. You'll never go through a change in your thinking. And there not in in the fruit of that come a change in your life. And that's. The secret to why a lot of people can't seem to change. Amen. Let's stand together.